As we continue on in our series called Back to the Future Generations, uh, again, I just wanted to let you know you can always submit questions to that URL down at the bottom. Feel free to do that right now if you have a digital device that will allow you to do that. We will strive to answer them, whether it be in the sermons or online uh, through our weekly emails. Also, next Sunday at 4 o'clock here at Desert Springs, we are hosting a Family Matters Q&A panel. And so if there's been something that this series has surfaced, whether it be related to uh, parenting young kids or teenagers or ministering to uh, adult children or caring for aging parents. We've got a panel that'll be here uh, who, has, who has been through those things, and they would love to help you in tangible, uh, real-world ways. And so I hope you'll join us next Sunday, 4 o'clock, for that panel. Mike Rowe was the host, we all know this, Mike Rowe was the host of the very best television program in the universe, Dirty Jobs. So are there any Dirty Jobs fans in the house? So what we know about Mike Rowe and the TV show Dirty Jobs is he was trying to elevate uh, the trades, dirty jobs, jobs that people do and that they love doing uh, and where you get your hands dirty. And so he elevated a lot of the different trades. And now even though the show is over, he and his foundation elevate dirty jobs. And one of the things that he uh, kind of founds that on is he says, you know, these hard jobs that no one seems to want and no one seems to celebrate, these dirty jobs, these hard jobs that people do in the trades and so forth, they are the fabric of society. And so we live in a culture now that belittles dirty jobs. We live in a culture that, that treats things like plumbing and electrical work uh, and the trades and farming and things like that. We belittle it and we elevate in front of our children and the, the children in our society. We say, go and get a degree and get a technical job or things like that. And we elevate it. But here's the gem. If you're an engineer, you need someone to do the electrical work that you are figuring out, right? And if you are um, a doctor, plumbing is a thing that needs to work in order for you to do your medical practice. You hear me? So imagine if you're a doctor, you've got a practice, and then there's no plumbers. What happens? Well, your business increases because everyone's infected <laughs> with everything. And so he elevates these jobs that, that most folks in society belittle, and he's doing a good job at doing that. And what I'd like to do today is take a look at the book of Proverbs, chapter 1, and elevate a dirty and oftentimes um, not celebrated job, and that's the job of the parent, the mom and the dad. Proverbs 1, 8 through 19 will be there. We'll have it up on the screen. What we're going to do is I'm going to read it, and we'll talk about a little bit about how it might apply to us today. So if you would read along with me, this is Proverbs 1, 8 through 19. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. For they are a graceful garland around your head and a pendant for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole, like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods, and we shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths, for their feet turn to evil, and they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But these men lie in wait for their own blood. Let, uh, they set an ambush for their own lives. 
Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. This is the word of the Lord. Here you have in the opening of this section these words, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Instruction, teaching. This is one of the key, if not the core, responsibility of any parent that has children in their lives, which is parents. Now, many of us, we, we, we look at mom and dad, we take out your father's instruction, your mother's teaching, we might think, okay, well, I, my, my situation's not like that. I wanna, I wanna be clear here before we get going that parent is a position that someone, it, it's not necessarily the biological mother and father, but father and mother are positioned, so, so there's a lot of folks that are adopted. And so one of the fascinating things about the scripture is it elevates adoption. In fact, we sang a minute ago, we are the sons, we are the daughters of God. You remember when we sang? that? Okay, listen. Do you remember five minutes ago when we sang, we are the sons, we are the daughters of God? Do you recall? Okay. That language comes out of the scriptures, which refers to followers of Jesus as the adopted sons and daughters of God. For those of us that are in foster care or adopt, that is a high calling. And so we don't necessarily need to think biological or even nuclear family. There's some of us, we're, grand, we're the grandparents and we're raising the children. You are taking on the role of father and mother. There are some of us who are single dads or single moms. And so that becomes even more complex in that you're trying to fulfill both the role of father and mother. And for those of us that are there, I just strongly encourage you to, that the church family God has put together for us to be a family together. And there's mentors and there's helpers. And, and so if you're a single mom or you're a single dad, the church is here to help. We want to help. If you ever need help, please go to Direct and Connect. We've got folks who would love to serve and minister to you in that way. But this role of father and mother or parent is clear in the scriptures that one of the key responsibilities is instruction and teaching of the child. Father and mother both. Instruction and teaching of the kids. In fact, God has, has woven the universe together in such a way that the, that the home or the family, the mom and dad and the kids, the mom and dad raising the kids, that, that is critical to the interwovenness of, uh, of our culture. To put it another way, how we raise our kids shapes the future. The job, the dirty job of mom and dad, what you are doing is culture building. What you are doing is worldview shaping. I'll prove it to you. Imagine if every kid right now in our community heard these words from their parents as a lesson to them. You can never be too greedy. And that was the guiding light for those children. And they heard it over and over again. They saw it in your life. You can never be too greedy. 50 years from now, what's the world look like? Selfish, greedy, what else? Chaos. Imagine if all the children today were taught this lesson. You are the center of the universe. Everything that exists, exists for you and your happiness. So go out there in the world and, you know, do awesome things for yourself. And by the way, if anyone disagrees with you that you're not the center of the world, they're not humans, so treat them as such. 50 years from now, what's the world going to look like? Chaos, 
Some of us are like, my house looks like that already. Thanks, pastor, for bringing that up, right? When we do the job of parenting, we are literally partaking in God's work of shaping the world. And we have a responsibility to parent. The home, the family is where values are instilled. It's where worldviews are shaped and it is where gods are worshipped. And many of us, uh, so in my line of work uh, here as a minister, I, I see this maybe more than, than most. Many of us in this culture feel the temptation to abdicate our responsibility and make the church or the schools raise our kids. We say, my job as a parent is just provider and protector. We're going to let the classroom and the church handle their education and their training and their teaching. No. The scriptures are clear. The primary role of instruction and teaching comes from the parent. That doesn't mean you have to teach nuclear engineering. But as it relates to the path that God has for them, it is the role of the parent. So some people will ask me, and I, and I don't certainly mean to belittle other church families that use this type of language. There's no, none of that here. I just want to be clear the way that we use language. So there'll, there'll be times where people will ask me, oh, is Desert Springs a family church? at a family church. And sometimes what they'll mean is, do you have a, a children's ministry or a student ministry, things like that, which I appreciate, and I'm, I'm glad to answer those questions. Uh, but much of the time, uh, those, I get the impression that that question is being asked, do you have robust ministries that can be a surrogate for my failing? Do you have robust enough ministries where the church can take on the responsibility of training and development and teaching so I don't have to do it? So I don't say Desert Springs is a family church. We're a church family. Now that's different. And here's the other thing too. It's super important because the barrier to entry to any church family is not, do you look like uh, a ward in June Cleaver? You follow me? Like Desert Springs, we're a messed up bunch. Okay, so some of us look like the, the leave it to beaver, not most of us, but some of us, our family structure is like, you know, uh, leave it to beaver. You follow me? Some of us are like the Brady Bunch. And some of us are like television programs I can't name as your pastor because I, and our lives are reflecting that television program, Sopranos, right? I mean, some of us, <laughs> right? We're all coming from, so check this out. There is no person who is exempt from the reality of sin and evil in their life. And there's no family that's exempt from that either. You follow me? So all of us have imperfect families. And so, so, so what does it look like to be a member of Desert Springs Bible Church? I, it just, it just look at everybody. Right? You say, well, I got to get my family in order before I become a part of the church. Nope. You don't. Your pastor is proof of that reality. You don't have to get your family in order before you become a member of the church. We are a church family, not a family church. And P.S., my kids, I've got three kids, seven, five, and one, and I'm not going to give you any advice from my personal life because I don't know if it's working. Ask me in 20 years, and then I'll, I'll let you know. You should be asking people who've done a good job and whose kids are like, I like my parents. And I mean, ask those people, right? But I, I don't have any personal advice for you. All I've got is the scriptures, and so I'm going to give those scriptures to you. But I know that one of the things my kids need is they need to be in a community of people who aren't like them. If the only people that are around my family are people who mirror the image of my family, I'm not a good teacher and instructor to my children. I need people who are, who are different than my wife and I's family structure to be in our family and to be a part of our life. 
And so for those of us that are single, for those of us that are married without kids, for those of us that are divorced, for those of us with the, with the Leave it to Beaver family, for those of us with the Brady Bunch family, it's good for us all to be just, you know, together and learning from one another and practicing grace towards one another and being understanding towards one another and being forgiving towards one another. That's good for us to do as a church family. We not only have the responsibility as parents to train and instruct children, but we also have the authority. Listen to the first uh, word in verse 8. Hear, my son. Listen. Now, all of us had different upbringings, but this might be a unifying factor. How many of you heard the words from your parents, hey, listen to me? (laughs) Anybody else? Nothing? Perfect kids? Great, good job. Right? Listen. Listen to me. Look at the the, the mom and the dad are, are, are speaking with authority. They're speaking as one with authority. Listen to me. And God has given parents the authority over their children for the good of the children and for the glory of God. Don't abdicate that authority. Now, some of you might think, I'm not worth the authority. You're right. Neither am I. Right? If we had to earn that authority, boy, there'd be like two of us that are parents, right? Most of us, like myself included, feel absolutely ill-equipped, unprepared, Failures. And I, I, like, three of my kids are pastor's kids. (laughs) Most of us feel ill-equipped, inadequate. You are. We are. But I want to encourage you in this. One of the things that the scriptures teach is the sovereignty of God, that God is sovereign over all things. The scriptures teach that, that God decides the time and the place that you're born which means that he decided the time and the place and the family to which your children were born, which means that God has uniquely wired you as a parent or parents to those specific kids. I know you feel inadequate. I think that's intentional. I do too. I think it's meant by, been designed by God to draw us to our knees and to rely on him, his power, his grace, his strength, and his love so that we can, power out of, that we can parent out of that power not out of our own power. You follow me? You see, a parent in humble, compassionate, gracious love, conviction, and truth-telling, a parent who leads from that leads well. A parent who leads from their own sense of, of power and authority, and I've got it all together, oftentimes will lead poorly. Many times it is somewhat abusive to lead in that way. So parents, you are responsible and you have the authority. For those of us that do not have children within our home or within our lives, I want to encourage you in this. God has, so for those of us that follow after Jesus, I know not all of us are Christians, but for those of us that follow after Jesus, he has put you together with a church family. Whether that's here at Desert Springs or another local church family, I would strongly encourage you to be obedient to Jesus and be a part of a local church family. Within that local church family, there are children And there are parents, and there are single moms, and there are single dads who could use a hand. And so if there are no children in your life that you're able to minister to and bless, if there's no parents in your life that you're able to minister to and bless, I would strongly encourage you to pray and prayerfully consider, Lord, how would you have me be a part of this great and yet dirty job of parenting kids? There's a ministry, an amazing ministry called Young Lives. It it ministers to teen moms in our community. 
And one of the things uh, that's a consistent need within Young Lives is uh, uh, when they have club meeting is for child care workers to come in. One of the best things, so if you're a dude, I'm going to talk to the dudes for just a minute. If you're a dude without kids in your life, taking care of some of those uh, young boys and girls during Young Lives Club, that's a great opportunity for you. I'd strongly encourage you to do it. You just let them climb on you. But many of them are starving for male attention, affection, love, and grace. There are countless opportunities for us to invest in the job of parenting, even if we don't have kids that are in our home right now. And we see this command, this commanding authority from the text. Hear, my son, your father's instruction. Do not forsake your mother's teaching. And some of us, we, we've heard those things and we're a little bit reticent about it because our parents weren't great or, or, or some of us, their parents have been abusive or they've abandoned and, and others of us have had uh, relatively good parents. But, but here on this day, this Father's Day, we remember something that the Lord taught us, which is to honor your father and your mother. In fact, I'll prove it to you. In the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 10, verse 19, Jesus is speaking to a rich young ruler, and he says, do you know the commandments? Now, I want, you to, I want you to join me in this text by gasping at the end of uh, every time kind of where I stop. Okay, you ready? Because these are powerful words. Like, these are powerful commands. Are you, you going to do it? I'm up here doing my job, so you guys got to help me out, okay? This is Jesus speaking. Do you know the commandments? Do not murder. Yeah, because that's strong, right? Strong. Do not commit adultery. Yeah, because that's strong, right? Do not steal. Yep, because that's strong. Do do not bear false witness. Yeah, because that's strong. Do not defraud. And now a proactive. Honor your father and your mother. Now don't gasp. Look at what he does. Murder, theft, lying. Honor your father and your mother. I mean, we're talking about serious business, right? Jesus isn't like, hey, if you get around to it, feel free to honor your father and mother. He says, do you know the commands? Do you know the commands of God? Don't murder. Don't lie. Don't steal. Honor your father and your mother. Now, for those of us who are in difficult situations, perhaps our relationship with our parents is not good. Perhaps we've been abandoned, betrayed, or abused. I want to be clear that honor does not mean intimate relationship. Honor does not mean like. Amen, right? I mean, some of us are sitting next to our parents, so I get it. We don't want to amen in front of them. You can just write the amen down and send it to me later, right? I get it. (laughs) Honor your father and mother. I want to encourage you in this. Jesus says to love one another to treat others as we want to be treated. He also says to love your enemies. I want to encourage you to bring that to bear. If you you have a toxic relationship with a parent, I, I want to encourage you to bring that to bear. That doesn't mean that you're going to be besties. It doesn't mean that you cover it over. No, 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 no. What I would argue is that what this means, one of the best ways we can honor is to seek their flourishing, and their flourishing might require repentance on their part, which you can't do for them. So don't, you hear me? You follow me? So we don't, we don't sweep sin under the rug. We don't ignore pain. We don't pretend like nothing happened. We set, listen, I want to be clear. We set up boundaries, but we seek to honor as best as we can to speak well of and to prayerfully, and this only happens by the power of God, 
to prayerfully long for their flourishing, which is a right relationship with the Lord and with others. But the reconciliation, it's a two-way street. I get that. There are some of us that's going to be difficult, and today's an especially difficult day. There's others of us who, who are not there, and I would just encourage you, consider what it means to honor your father and your mother. Jesus treats it seriously, and so should the followers of Jesus. It's an intriguing thing to note, and I'll make this point really fast, that the one who's saying this is Solomon in uh, verse one of chapter one in Proverbs. It says these are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David. Now here's the jam. Uh, also um, Bathsheba was uh, Solomon's mom, so check this out. David and Bathsheba did something interesting. David saw Bathsheba, she was married at the time, and he and she, they have an affair. And then David kills Bathsheba's wife, who, uh, wait, what did I say? Bathsheba's husband. Hold, hold on, I'm catching up to you. <laughs> David kills Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, who was his general. Gasp. And Solomon says, you should honor your parents by his actions here. Listen to their teaching. Follow their instruction. He goes on to talk about places of honor for them. So he knows what it's like to have parents who messed up. It's interesting, in 1 Kings, he shows this as Bathsheba comes into uh, the throne room and Solomon is king. He actually has a, thr a second throne brought out for his mom and he sits down in the throne room with her and speaks to her about some matters of state. It's, it's pretty fascinating. He, he seems to be doing it by his actions as well. We have the responsibility of the parent. We have the God-given authority to do that and to do it um, with conviction. But one of the biggest roles of parenting is teaching and instruction. And whether you're a parent of a small child, a preteen, a teen, a young adult child, or an older adult child, you are always teaching. You are always teaching. How you act, your attitude, your decisions, your lifestyle are always teaching. By the way, um, you might be tempted to do the thing that I do to my kids, which is do as I say, not as I, hasn't worked yet. You are always, you are always, you are always teaching. You are always proclaiming some gospel. You are always worshiping some God. You are always, always, always teaching in your response to their behavior, in your proactive decisions about your life together as a family, you're always teaching. Your dinner table is teaching. Who sits at your dinner table is teaching. Where you live is teaching. And by the way, I want to give a caution to those of us that live in the suburbs, which I do. Now, I got no problem with the suburbs, but there's a caution. We live in Disneyland. If you are in trouble, you can dial three numbers on a telephonic device and armed people will come and protect you in a matter of minutes. And your kids, the kids in our lives, are being raised in that environment. Praise the Lord. Like, I'm all for that. But that's not the rest of the world. You, if, if, you, if you feel like, ooh, ooh, 
there's a rumbly in my tumbly. You can dial three digits and medical professionals will show up with devices that can bring you back to life. We live in Disneyland. We live in a relatively turmoil-free, quiet, leave me alone, isolated, individualistic, walled community called the suburbs. Now, I got nothing against that. It's just, it's just, it's reality, right? We're in the suburbs. Okay. And if people, if we were, if, if this church was uh, 20 minutes uh, to the south, I would be talking about raising kids in an urban environment. If we were out in the country, I would be not living there because too many people listen to country music. But if we were there, I would be talking about, you know, the, you got, you're on a farm. This, I mean, it's just give them, a, just where you live is yelling and screaming and teaching at your kids, right? And how you engage with your neighbor, that's teaching your kids. It's, you're always teaching. How you engage with the church family, it's always teaching. There was a satirical article that came out that said uh, a family that attended church uh, twice a year uh, shocked when an uh, adult child is disinterested in the faith. I thought, that's interesting, because how we treat our church family is teaching. We can teach that it's all about them, that they're the center of the universe, or that they're part of something greater. We're always teaching. Now, one of the things about faith, that, that idea of faith and church involvement, many of us get a little weirded out. We think, we, we, we wrestle with, and I wrestle with this too, as a, a, given my career as a preacher, and a, a pastor that I worry, to be blunt, I worry about, well, frankly, I worry about you guys screwing them up, right? I think that's why half the time uh, pastor kids get screwed up because everybody else around them has unrealistic expectations on them to be somehow more righteous than other kids. Listen, don't do that to my kids, okay? They're not here. Don't do that, okay? Please don't mess up my kids, and I will try not to mess your kids up either. But... As a pastor's kid, one of the things I'm worried about is this idea of brainwashing my kids. I want my kids to have their own faith. And there are many of us who are thinking, okay, do I, how do I teach my kids about faith? How, is it brainwashing? Is it not? And I want to just push on this. There are some of us who say, you know what? I'm not going to teach my kids about the Lord, about faith. I'm just going to kind of give them all the different options and let them decide and, and, and figure out what's best for themselves. And I just want to push on that just a little bit and say, do you treat electricity and math the same? Meaning, when it comes to electricity, do you just say, you know what, I'm just going to let my kids figure it out. I'm going to let them decide what's best for them. When they're holding the metal object going for the outlet, do you say, I'm just going to let them decide what's best for them? So they are a free will person. Do you do that? If you do that, you're a bad parent. And then we, treat, we, we, we teach math, which we should. And we, we have no ethical dilemma. Should I teach my kid that four plus four equals eight? I don't, I don't know. I need them to decide on their own. Okay, so check this out. I just want to make this point really quick and then move on. We should teach our kids about electricity and math. How our children, as they grow up, use electricity and math, how they use those things, will depend on their worldview. Because we can use electricity and math to take medicine into countries that do not have vaccines, and we can help and serve people using electricity and math, or we can make bombs and obliterate people. How we decide to use the tools at our resources comes, stems from our belief about the world. And Jesus is the foundational cornerstone for our belief and understanding about the world. You follow me? 
It's not like there's math and electricity and faith. There's just Jesus and everything stems from him. He's the one who holds the universe together with the, world of it, with the word of his power, which means electricity works because Jesus makes it so. And so this idea, well, I don't, I don't know if I want to teach my kids faith. I mean, that's the foundation of the world. Teach your kids faith. We had a beautiful display uh, with Doug baptizing his two daughters here today. Do not shelter. Yeah, all right. So some of you might want to send me an email later. That's okay. <laughs> so I'm going to kind of be careful, but not really. Um, watch this. Okay, let's do this together. Look at verse 11. Look at the father speaking to the son. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait for blood. Let us ambush the innocent without reason. And he goes on to talk about death and murder. Did you guys hear that in the text? It wasn't like a flowery story about a bunny. He's like, hey, there's going to be people who want you to go murder and steal from other people. Don't do that. Did you hear that? Okay. The father does not neglect his teaching responsibilities by sheltering his son from the sin and evil that exists in the world. I want to be real careful here because you've got to prayerfully consider where your boundaries are and what that means for you. And I'm not, trying to, I'm not trying to tell you exactly how to do that. But as it relates to sex, money, power, murder, rape, these things, your children will learn it. And if you wait until they ask you the question, they've already gotten answers from their peers. Be the one to bring the gospel to bear on these this reality, this real world we live in. Here's the jam. Some of us, and I just, again, you can send me the email. I'd love to talk to you about it. There are some of us who think my job as a parent is to keep my kids as innocent as possible for the longest amount of time. And I get that. I have a seven-year-old daughter. She wants to do the salsa. And I say, you will not do the salsa until you're 50. Well, Jane does it. Well, Jane's parents are... <laughs> we want to shelter, keep them innocent as long as possible. Number one, because sin penetrates the heart of everyone, your kids are already unregenerate unless they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent and turn from their sin. I'll prove it to you. Did you have to teach them how to lie, cheat, or steal? We don't have to teach kids these things, right? So the idea in our minds like, well, I'm going to keep them innocent for, you know, for as long as I possibly can Game over. Number two, Jesus calls followers of Jesus, take up your, to follow me, the bid of Christ, come and die. Be lights in the midst of darkness. As a parent, one of your primary teaching responsibilities is to bring the gospel to bear on the realities that your child is facing. Your kid wants to believe that you don't know what you're talking about. And if you do not speak to them about the nature of the real world, all of their suspicions will be confirmed. And I want to encourage you in this too. Err on the side of too early because there are too many of us waiting until it's too late. Err on the side of being too early. And listen, I know it's awkward. I have a seven-year-old daughter who wants to know where babies come from. I know it's awkward. Listen, give the awkward a big hug. <laughs> because your job is not to make things less painful. Your job as a parent is to point your kids to Jesus and to train them up in the way that they need to go. 
One of the ways we do that is teaching them about the real world. We have countless opportunities for that, whether it be through the Rock Teen Center, our student ministries, they talk to our students about these things, whether it be going down to Rocky Point to see some of the poverty firsthand or going down to the soup kitchens in South Phoenix or to the Palomino Food Bank, Kitchen on the Street, countless opportunities to bring the gospel to bear on the real world, the pain, the evil that we see. And I'll finish up just a couple of quick points. Number one, we are called to raise gospel-centered adults to be lights in darkness. That's our job for those of us that follow after Jesus. Number two, discipline without direction and conviction is bullying. Let me do that one more time. Discipline without conviction and direction is bullying. Because without conviction, we're sloppy about it. Well, I'll discipline you sometimes for this, and maybe I'm going to discipline you over here. If there's a path that you're trying to go them, a direction that you're trying to lead them, discipline is trying to help them stay on that path. And every kid's different. But without conviction and without direction, discipline just becomes random bullying. Do this sometimes, don't do that other times, and it just creates chaos in our kids' lives. Be careful that you have the conviction that the Scripture brings to you as a parent to teach with authority and responsibility and that you know their direction, where God is calling them to go. That comes through prayer, comes through talking with others who have been there, comes through a reliance on the Lord. Let me end on this. We feel inadequate. We feel afraid. We feel like we're a disappointment as parents. We feel like we don't know what we're doing. And the Lord knows how you feel. And so we can go to him in prayer. One of the best things a parent can do is to humbly pray and ask for God's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 26 and on, and I'm gonna paraphrase here. It says this, so, so real quick, you don't feel wise enough to parent. God knows. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Not many of you are wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. And it goes on. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom from God. The wisdom and the power to lead come from the Lord, and the Lord indwells his people. As we humbly rely on him, he will give us the direction, the wisdom, and the words in the moment that we might lead out of a humble, loving, gracious authority not one that we demand on our own strength and power. Teach your kids. Point them to Jesus. Point them towards the way that you believe God is calling them to go in reliance completely on the Lord. I'm gonna pray for us, and then I've got a few closing words. Would you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we love you, and we know that you call us your sons and daughters. That You have given us your life and life abundant. We pray now as we think about for each of us, whether single or married, divorced, remarried, widow, widower, with kids in the home, kids out of the home. Regardless of our circumstance, Lord, we pray that you would give to each of us a conviction and a direction as it relates to where it is that you're calling us to serve and to lead and to guide. As we think about the job, the dirty job of parenting, Lord, we ask for your conviction to teach with authority that we would have a weight of the responsibility that you have placed upon us that we would be a people who are faithful to you as we seek to serve the children in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.